employees who have supervisors that use timely procedures, they, they tend to go the extra mile for those supervisors. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time tuning into the podcast, I just want to take a minute and welcome you into the Kelly family and let you know, no matter if you are part of Kelly um, in school, alumni, or you just found this show on your own, you are welcome here and this show exists for you. So if you have an organizational question you're wrestling with, maybe you want to take a dive into leadership and how to develop um, yourself as a leader, maybe you want to know what's happening in the faculty world here, what research is going on, or you know of an individual who would make an awesome guest for our show, we would love to hear from you. The best way to reach the show is to send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I.edu. Again, R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I.edu. Well, in this country, when we talk about law and order, when we talk about the rule of law across the land, there is two specific words written in the Constitution that are very intentional, and that is fair and speedy when it comes to a trial. Fair and speedy. You know, in organizations around the country, so many business leaders strive to build an ethical organization, build a business that is all about being fair, being welcoming, being a place that it, it, it is equal across the board. But a lot of times, in organizations, how many have we been a part of? It may not be so speedy. We're trying to do a procedural step and it takes a long time to get through. We're, there's some ethical decisions that we tr- sit so hard on thinking through that as time goes on, it almost does even worse of an effect because no decisions being made because there's no speed or urgency to meet certain ethical deadlines. So, how do organizations stack up to this? You know, how, what happens when organizations drag their feet, when even when they have the intentions of being fair and do things very fairly, but it's not fast enough? What happens within the organization and how does it impact both morale? How does it impact the culture? How does it impact employees who are trying to give their best? And, and mind you, I would argue that if we can address these two issues, we can see a huge increase in productivity, of buy-in, of organizational uh, development that can be very impactful to both you as an owner and the organization as a whole. I'm joined by the Assistant Professor of Management at the Kelly School of Business, Ryan Outlaw, who specializes and just released uh, a paper dealing with this topic. Ryan, welcome to the ROI Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on. So this has been a really fun thing. I know you've worked really hard on a paper. It's It's got a lot of recognition. Um, and, and, and I'm really excited to kind of dive into this topic because I think when it comes to ethics and, and standards with practice and business practice, I mean, the, I don't think there's enough content to, to make sure that, hey, we, we want to make sure we do things fair. We do things orderly. We do things in a way that uplifts others and uplifts our organization um, and makes people feel good. And they can come to work and go to bed with a clear conscience knowing that, cool, we lived up to ethical standards. Yet, you know, as your paper talks about, 
the speed and, and, and the timeliness of which, you know, we, we approach some of these issues it tends to get lagged behind. And so I'd love for you to kind of go back and set the stage for us, you know, talk about, you know, how you arrived at this topic and, and get us ready um, for diving into how speed and fairness need to be a part of every organizational strategy. Yeah, that's right, Matt. So, so yeah, I, I'm a, an organizational behavior scholar, and and so what I do uh, is is I try to uh, understand and explain why employees think, act, and and feel the way they do, uh, with the ultimate goal of improving the organization itself, right? Uh, and so, a big part of that for me in in my research is uh, organizational justice, right? And so. Uh, what does it mean to have perceptions of fairness in an organization? All right. And, and so you mentioned uh, uh, when you first started, you mentioned uh, trials, right? And, and uh, you know, the right to a fair and speedy trial, uh, which we all know. Um, but uh, what are trials, if not procedures? Right. And so that's that's sort of where where this work comes in. But I, I want to take a step back maybe to, to the, uh, the genesis or the beginning of organizational justice research. And, and in that way, we sort of just do a, a little history lesson and, and see how do we get to here, right? And, and then we can talk about where we're going. Uh, but, but so organizational justice really has its roots uh, in what we would call distributive justice or, or how fair are the outcomes that we get? Well, what are outcomes in organizations? Pay, uh, you know, promotions, uh, maybe assignments, things like that, right? And so a lot of the early work focused on, on those outcomes. Uh, and it did it through the lens of, of equity theory. In other words, hey, what am I bringing to this organization? What am I putting in? You know, the, the easiest example there is, you know, how, how, how many hours am I putting in, right? Uh, and what am I getting out of it? And again, there's, there's so much more than just pay, but I'll, I'll use pay because it's the easiest example. So, so that's, that's sort of where the, the, the organizational justice literature started. And this, this all happened around World War II, right? And sort of building out of that. Uh, and, and then that sort of focus on the outcomes exclusively sort of persisted up until you know, the, the 50s, really early 60s. And then we started to, to in, in, and especially by the, the 70s, uh, we had seen the early 70s, we saw a big shift. And there was some seminal work that came out of the uh, early 70s that said, hey, look, these outcomes that, that we've been talking about for the last few decades, yeah, they're really important. And they really make a difference. What happens if it's not just outcomes that make a difference, but if it's the way that that those outcomes are arrived at that also make a difference, right? And so, you know, the example that that I give all the time, I say, well, you know, if I've got uh, um, students in my class, if if um, if if I have an exam, you know, give an exam, and uh, you know, everybody gets A's. Well, that's the outcome, right? The outcome is 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 the the letter grade of, of that process. It's and that's that's just the outcome. So if I give A's, eh, nobody really cares about the procedures I use to arrive at that. I've 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 yet to have my first student come to me and say, Professor Outlaw, I'm I'm just I really want to understand at how I got to this A because it just doesn't make sense to me, right? And so you know, and and and, and so it's it's true that when the outcomes are favorable. You don't really think about things like the procedures used to to arrive at those outcomes, but when those outcomes are unfavorable, oh, you know, somebody gets to a D or an F, oh, well, then it's well, how did you grade? What criteria did you use? 
can I see, you know, this? And so let me, let me get a good close look at the procedures you professor outlaw used to, to arrive at this grade. Right. And so again, we're sitting around the early seventies and all of a sudden we, we make this change from going, you know, outcomes, outcomes, outcomes. Whoa. Maybe it's the way that the, the, the procedures used to arrive at those outcomes that are also important. Right. And, and, and so that's, you know, sort of bringing that into the context of trials, right. That's uh, litigation. That's, that's probably the easiest for us to understand. Um, but, but that those sort of procedures play out all the time in organizations too, right. Not just in a court of law, you know, your um, supervisors making decisions about, you know, should you, should you get a raise or should you get a promotion? Well, of course, you know, you want to know, did I get that raise and how much did I get, or did I get that promotion? Um, but you're also going to be interested in, you know, what criteria uh, was being used to, to, to decide whether I get that, that uh, pay raise or that promotion or, or that job assignment or whatever. And so enter in what we call procedural justice, right? And so that's that shift from looking at the outcomes, distributive justice, to the, the, the you know, how did we arrive at those outcomes, the procedures, procedural justice. And that was huge. Procedural justice really dominated uh, the scenes until, you know, somewhere in the in the late 80s. And we started to see a shift to, to a few more facets of justice. I won't get into those. Um, but but really, procedural justice dominated for a long time. It still does. It still plays a very, very, you know, it's a, it's a huge part of organizational justice and scholarship. Right. And so for decades now, we've, we've been, you know, just plugging away at trying to understand and unpack and see what all kind of cool things procedural justice can do for supervisors and managers and organizations. And it does a lot of really cool stuff, you know, benefits like employee, you know, it gets employees engaged, it, you know, all this positive affect and, you know, it makes them feel like they can trust their supervisors. That does all sorts of good things. So, so really beneficial, uh, and and you start thinking about say oh man procedural justice that's everything right, but but it's not. There's more to procedures than just justice. There's more to procedures than just how fair they are. Yeah, fair procedures are important. They're critical, right? The right to a fair trial. It's important. But but where our research stepped in 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 what in and and by the way. I'm going to shamelessly uh, self-promote here. Uh, this paper was a finalist uh, for paper of the year uh, for personnel psychology. So that's a, that's a huge uh, uh, award that, that we're really proud of. Um, but, but yeah, uh, that's, that's what led us to this work that we go. And in fact, so, so Matt, uh, we, for, for these little projects, we always have little names for them. Right. And so little, little code names for them. The code name for this project was called not just right and the reason that was the code name is because we wanted to we, we go hey look procedural justice is important but there's more than just justice that's important when it comes to procedures hence not just and so the question for us was what what is what what are those other things if it's not just then what is it uh and, and uh one of the things that became clear to us early on is that speed was one of those aspects of procedures beyond justice, right? That's not justice. Speed is one of those aspects of procedures that, that could very well move the needle on a lot of these organizational outcomes that we care so much about. You know, I think you bring up a really cool thing. I love the history of that because it seems like there were just 
different shifts, different pivots, you know, is talk about outcomes. Okay. Now it's how we get to the outcomes. Okay. Now it's the procedures in which we get to those outcomes and, and how that maps out. And it seems like in this research, this is just another evolution, like that next evolving step of, okay, it's not just what to do and what's fair to do, but it's when it's, it's, it's both. It's when, what and when do you make these decisions? When do you, you know, implement in, in the speed of it? Because, you know, like I said in the beginning, if you were to drag your feet as an organization, you're going to cause probably more damage than if you were just to make an ethic, unethical decision in the first place, because it's that undecision or the uncertainty of where we're going. Uh, that's, that makes an impact. So start to unpack, you know, this Speed element of it, you know what? What was some of your, you know, your your surprising findings in understanding? Okay, organizations want to do what's fair. Organizations want to make an impact. We can see that in marketing strategies. We can see that, you know, when different events and, and, and causes arrive, organizations standing up and putting themselves out there because they want to do what's right um, deep down. Uh, but it's that speed portion. So, so start unpacking that for us in, in some oh, of your surprising yeah. I, I don't findings. know if you know what you're asking for, Matt. I'm, I'm going to unpack that. We'll, we'll get into theory here. So, uh, yeah, this is this is fun for me. But before we get into theory, I, I want to give it always. I find it really helpful. We talk about these abstract uh, uh, constructs, things like procedural speed and procedural justice. And, and, you know, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to me? And it can vary. So I want to, I want to give some real clear examples of, of these, since we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about these constructs of what we're actually talking about. And so I'll give you the actual, some of the items, the survey items that participants are responding to when they're answering these questions about their organization and their supervisors. So when we talk about procedural justice, right, a a participant, an employee uh, who's, who's engaged in, in my data collection, We'll, we'll get this question. They'll say, uh, think about uh, um, or consider the procedures that your supervisor uses to make decisions about things like pay, rewards, evaluations, promotions, assignments, and so forth. To what extent are those procedures applied consistently? Aha. Uh-huh. Well, that's important in fairness, right? How consistently, pres- you know, if, if one person gets this set of expectations and another person gets another set, you know, that's not consistent. That doesn't feel fair. Uh, to what extent are those procedures free of bias? We want our procedures to be free of bias, right? I mean, you know, of course we do. I mean, it's so basic, right? Uh, are those procedures based on accurate information? If you're going up for a, a pay raise or promotion, you darn well better make sure you want to know that your supervisor is using accurate information, right, to, to make those sorts of decisions. And so that's that's concrete examples of procedural justice. That's what they're actually responding to. That's what we're capturing. Uh, procedural timeliness, right? Or, or well, and we keep I keep calling it procedural speed. Uh, and, and and you know, fun little fact there. We called it procedural speed all the way to the very end. And some reviewers said, you know, we think procedural timeliness is a better. Uh, construct label. So, okay, we'll call it procedural timeliness. So if you hear me use the word procedural timeliness, it's it's procedural speed. Uh, but but those survey items are things like, uh, you know, again, you would ask an employee, you say, okay, consider the procedures your supervisors need to make about pay rewards, et cetera. To what extent are those procedures handled in a timely manner? Do they play out over an acceptable time frame? And is the length of those procedures appropriate? Right. And that's all it is. That's that's all we're asking about. And so so those three, the answers to those three questions, you know, we can link that to a lot of cool stuff going on. So 
that's where we're at. But you said, you know, what is it that makes procedural speed uh, um, so important? Right. What, what, what is it? Why does it matter? And, and the one liner there, uh, Matt, is and, and this this is important. So for the managers listening out there and, and uh, future and, and current managers, he, he, here's the takeaway is that employees who have supervisors that use timely procedures, they they tend to go the extra mile for those supervisors. So for you, uh, current or, or future supervisors sitting out there. If you want to know, is my employee going to go the extra mile for me? Um, you know, one of the questions you should be asking it, uh, it, yourself, do I have procedures that are handled in a timely manner? Do they play out over acceptable time frame? Is the length of, the, of those procedures appropriate? Right. If you can answer yes, strongly agree to those questions, you chances are you can have employees that are willing to go the extra mile for you. So here's why. Here's why employees are, are willing to go that extra mile uh, when, when managers uh, um, decide things in a way that uh, meets that criteria of procedural speed. Uh, and one reason is this idea of identification, right? And so part of how I identify myself at work, you know, I, there's that part of me that's, you know, who am I? Well, I am, you know, Dr. Ryanella, right? But there's also part of me that says, who am I? And I go, I'm Kelly, right? I am Kelly. And what makes me what makes me able to identify like that and say I am Kelly or or if I see myself sort of in terms of my supervisor, you know, I am I'm with my supervisor, I'm with my business, I am Kelly. Well, part of the reason I'm doing that is because Kelly is a great place to work. It's a fair place to work. It's a place that I can come and feel great about. And now I because I can feel good about that, I I feel good about defining myself in terms of Kelly. I am Kelly, right? And that's because, hey, you know, and, and, and this is what we knew we've known for a while now with procedural justice is, hey, treat me fairly. Give me procedural justice and I'll identify with a group. And hey, guess what? When I identify with a group, when it when it shifts from becoming, oh, well, I'm, I'm Ryan Outlaw to, hey, no, I'm Kelly. Now I'm much more invested in what's going on at work. Now my supervisors might see me working late. Or, you know, hey, nobody asked me to do this, but I went ahead and did it anyway because I know it's a, well, because that's part of me, right? And so our question was, okay, well, we know that that works for justice. Does that work for timely procedures as well? Does that work for, for speedy procedures as well? Uh, and the answer is, is, is it, it was a mixed bag with identification. So, so we did two studies and the first study says, yes, uh, um, how 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 uh, speedy those procedures are does indeed impact identification. Um, the the second study was more of a mixed bag, so you know take that with a grain of salt. But there's there's so much more, right? Uh, why else might speedy procedures uh, um, impact whether an employee helps their supervisors? There's trust. So so Matt, there's this thing called the fundamental social dilemma, and it says, hey, I know I need to cooperate with my supervisor. But if I do, I'm making myself vulnerable. They could exploit me. Oh, yeah, they're asking me to take on this really difficult assignment or, or go the extra mile. But they, they could take advantage of me. You know, I, I don't know what I'm really getting out of this. There it is. There's the fundamental social dilemma. And so what you need there is, is uh, trust. Now, the problem with trust is it, it often takes a long time to, to build and develop. So what do we do? We can fill in the gaps. We say, well, I don't know if I can trust them, but I, I sure do know that I've, I've watched how they make decisions. 
And it seems pretty fair. So we sort of fill in the gaps, you know, based on, hey, how fair are they? We can infer, hey, I do trust them. And guess what? When you trust your supervisor, you're willing to go the extra mile. Well, turns out it works that way for justice. The question was, did it work that way for procedural speed? Indeed, it does. Right. Turns out that when you have a supervisor that can can get you, um, you know, speedy uh, decision, make make decisions in a way that that meets that criteria. Right. That triggers this sense of, hey, this it's not easy to do that. And I know they're high ability. They if, if they've got the ability to implement those sorts of speedy procedures, maybe I can trust them. And if I trust them, I'm willing to go the extra mile. So there it is. Um, anxiety. Oh, my gosh. Right. Turns out that employees aren't just concerned about uh, the uncertainty regarding, like, can I trust my supervisor? Employees are in, employees are people, human beings. They are uncertain about everything. Matt, when I woke up this morning, I turn on and I, I see the news and I go, oh, my gosh, if I go outside, am I, you know, am I going to die? I'm scared, I'm scared to death. Right. Um, and, and so we have all these fears, not just about can we trust our supervisor, but fears about everything. And, and interestingly enough, the folks that study this, they actually do use death as, as uh, you know, for context, right? And so employees are concerned about everything. And it turns out that fair procedures give us just the sort of stability, that sense of stability and certainty that we need to not worry so much about all those other things. The question was, could, could speedy procedures also assuage some of that anxiety? And it turns out, indeed they do. And guess what? I mean, surprise, surprise, less anxious employees are actually those employees that are more willing to help because when you're anxious, you're hiding, you're, you know, you're, you, you're kind of sulking in the background, but no, take that anxiety away. You're more willing to help yet another reason. And I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you one more and that's anger. Right. And so we've known for a while, uh, there, there, there's these series of questions we ask, uh, uh, counterfactual questions. We say when a decision was made, you know, could could my supervisor have have acted differently? Should my supervisor have acted differently? Should they have made that a different decision? Uh, and would I have been better off if they had made a different decision? Right. So you have those three counterfactuals that you know could they have acted differently? Should they have? And, and would I have been better off? And it turns out that when 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 supervisors engage in procedural justice, you know the answer to those questions. Could they have acted differently? No, nah, they pretty much got it. They acted with procedural justice. Should they have acted differently? No, that's exactly what I want them to. Would I have been better off? No, oh, those are fair procedures, right? And so anger goes down, right? Uh, you, you start answering yes to this. Should they have acted differently? Yes. Would I have been better off? Yes. That anger is going up, right? So our question was, does procedural speed act the same way procedural justice does? And indeed, it does. Right. And so the less anger I feel, guess what? The more likely I am to help you. No surprise there. Right. And when we get into the practical implications of these, you know, what are some examples? I mean, we we talk about theory, we talk about speed, we talk about fair, you know, but what are examples, like concrete examples within organizations that would fall under the, okay, this is a great example of a speed of a procedure and how it impacts positively or negatively um, employees uh, when utilized. So us as organizational leaders can take a step back and go, ah, okay, now I'm starting to make some of those connections with the theory and reality. Yeah, right. So so if I'm thinking practically speaking, uh, I'm, I'm going, all right, here's these, here are these researchers and they've given us 
you know, this, this idea that, that timely procedures, that, that uh, procedural speed matters, the timely procedures. And, and by the way, I, I, I should, I keep calling it procedural speed and switching back and forth. The, the, the reason that the, the uh, reviewers that, and, and thank you, uh, anonymous reviewer who suggested procedural timeliness is more appropriate is, is procedural speed implies that procedures need to be done quickly. Um, but that's not always true. You know, imagine that you're going up for a, a promotion and you go in and do the interview. And then a minute later, you get a text that says, thanks, but no thanks. You're going, Did, what? A minute? It took you a minute to come to that decision? Right. And so there has to be a balance. Right. It, it, it's, um, you know, procedures can be too quick and, and give the impression that not enough time was put into them. Uh, but but, you know, and I think perhaps more often the cases that they're, that they're too slow. But either way, procedural timely procedures is what we're after. So practically speaking, timely procedures. All right. Here's here's, uh, you know, this this researcher who's telling me that timely procedures matter for my organization. He's telling me what are timely procedures. They're procedures that are handled in a, in a timely manner. They play out over an acceptable time frame. The length of those procedures are appropriate when it comes to things like making decisions about pay, rewards, evaluations, promotions, so forth. That all matters. What do we do with that? One idea is that 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 little three item measure. And by the way, Matt, that probably takes you about 15 seconds to answer those three three questions if you're an employee of an organization, you know, 15 seconds of your time. And we know that procedural uh, timeliness is, is linked to all these great outcomes. So practically speaking, organizations could use a measure like that to perhaps help identify supervisors or, or units or business units where, where timeliness uh, of procedures was an issue. And then, and then once you've been able to identify that as an organization, it'd be easy to, to, Think about how can, how can we train managers, whether it be through things like record keeping or, or having specific timing goals to develop more timely procedures, right? Or, or um, you know, it can be used to identify the kinds of decisions uh, with the most timeliness problems. So, so are we talking about decisions about things like raises or promotions? You know, if you, you know, imagine uh, that, that everything else seems to be functioning smoothly, except when it came to, to it comes to getting raises. And then there's always an uproar and the employees know, you know, it's sort of, you know, infamous, oh, well, you know, the, the whole promotion process is going to play out. And, you know, so, so it could be used to pinpoint, you know, specific sorts of decisions that are problematic, you know, and so, and so there's one avenue for how this could be applied in a practical sense. You know, one of the examples that you gave uh, before we were recording, and I'd love for you to unpack more, is even things outside of, you know, pay raises, uh, you know, things like reimbursement policies or, you know, time off policies or communication things, you know, that do require, you know, a, a feedback that's f- seems fair, seems timely, you know, talk about some of other examples, uh, like that, that organizational leaders can start thinking about, go, Oh, okay. You know, like this, this, this is something like I might need to look at differently. This might be a a practice within my organization. I may need to look at a little differently. Proceed the speed of procedures. And we've been talking about that. The whole podcast is so important. I'll put this out there. Here's a, a behind the scenes, uh, if anybody's interested in the world of research, this is how it works. So when we started this project, remember I called it not just, well, there's more. Uh, so, so what's what's not you know beyond justice when it comes to procedures? And we said procedural speed, but there were other things. And so we looked at other constructs like uh, procedural easiness or procedural understandability. And so when I say 
procedural easiness, uh, a, a good example here is, is exactly what you talked about, reimbursement. Right. Imagine you're an employee and you, you, you go out on a, you know, some sort of training program and you come back after being gone for a week and, and you have all these expenses, but you, you have five different forms you've got to fill out. And then you've got to actually call up somebody and make sure that these were submitted. And then you've got to set a reminder in, in five days to, to reach out to that person again and ensure that the process is moving along before you can you say, well, was that fair? Well, if I'm thinking procedural justice, I'm saying, was it consistent? Yes, everybody has to do this. Was it free of bias? Sure it was. I mean, the rules are the rules. And so you're saying, well, it's fair, but doggone, that doesn't feel very uh, easy at all. In fact, that's really hard to sit there and do that. And it's time consuming and it makes me angry. I shouldn't have to go through. Yes, it's fair, but it still makes so. And and maybe maybe it's fast. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, a week later I have my deposit. So yes, it's fair. Yes, it's speedy. But doggone, it's not easy, and that makes me angry, right? And so that part didn't make it into the paper. Why, you know, some reviewers felt strongly. They felt that we were telling too much of a story already with, with speed, and they wanted to focus on that. I will say that that the data does support the idea that, that it's not just speed, but also other things like how easy are procedures. And I'll give you one more, one more that didn't make the paper, and I, I wish it did. And again... I have data that that links this construct I'm about to talk about to these these uh, positive outcomes, okay? Uh, and that is procedural understandability, right? And so, um, look, I, I'm not a tax person. I took a, a few uh, tax uh, courses when I was undergrad in, in MBA, okay? And that's pretty much the extent of it. When I do my taxes, I go out and hire somebody to do it for me. Why? I don't understand. I don't understand. And I don't have the bandwidth to try to understand at this point. I don't, ha- I can't understand. Right. You know, I, I'm not the, you know, I'm no dummy. I'm not the world's smartest guy, either, but, but look, it's the stuff is complicated. Taxes are complicated. Right. Uh, and, and it's not trying to understand that stuff. It's so hard. And so that makes me mad. You know, taxes should be easy. Give me, give me a one page, you know, tax policy that I can wrap my head around. You know, I should be able to understand that. And I can't, those procedures, uh, you know, is, is it easy to go out and hire, uh, you know, somebody to do my taxes? Sure. Does it feel fair? Well, you know, depends on who you are. I guess we could debate that, but you know, it can hit all these boxes, right? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm getting my tax returns in, 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 um, timely manner. Um, it's easy enough for me to go out and, and hire somebody or, or sometimes they even have free software, but, but to understand it, I, I can't. And that's a, a sore point for me. And that's something that I personally wish that, uh, you know, folks who get, you know, <laughs> come on folks, what are you doing? Let's talk about this tax code. Right. Um, and, and so that makes me, it makes me angry to think it shouldn't be this hard to understand. I should be able to understand this. And so, yeah, there's other aspects and, and bring that back into from a practical uh, application standpoint, um, right? How, how could organizations think about things like, hey, are our procedures uh, 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 timely, but, but are they easy for employees to, 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 to implement and carry out? Are they easy? And, and, and that one's interesting, too, because that could also not impact employees as, as much as it may impact managers, supervisors. I mean, you think about that, it's the supervisors that often get stuck with the, you know, the biggest headache of all. So, so for, for you C-suite folks out there thinking about your, 
um, you know, your line managers and, and whatnot, you know, think about the burden that places on them when procedures uh, are not easy, right? Maybe even more so than employees. Uh, and, and think about how understandable you say, well, well, of course, our, our procedures, our policies, they're fair. Okay, fine. They're fair. Can, can, how understandable are they? You know, do you do, do, do you have to have, a, um, you know, a, a thousand page employee handbook to explain these policies and procedures? And if so, what's the risk? Well, you know, the risk is that, you know, you're, you're increasing uh, things like anger uh, or, or you could be driving employees towards uh, anxiety or lack of trust. Right. As, as counterintuitive as that may sound, you know, it's it's entirely it's an empirical question, but it's possible. You know, finally, as we begin to wrap up the episode, uh, sticking in the realm of the timeliness and, and the whole, you know, speed of, of justice and the speed or, or the timeliness of, of everything, you know, how do leaders know, even begin to define if this be is the timely thing or not? I mean, because it can be a vague thing, you know, reimbursement may be different than a raise. And, you know, how do you know when you're too fast or you're too slow? And how do you begin to start making some definitions and goals to set as, hey, as an organizational leader from a procedural standpoint, this constitutes a win if we can start putting these timelines in? How, how do leaders even be, go about setting those goals? Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, again, this would this would be uh, I, I think a lot of organizations um, engage in sort of those, um, you know, annual satisfaction surveys with employees or just to keep tabs on that. Um, certainly, if it was brought to the attention of HR, for example, um, and, you, you know, you hear rumblings there, it would be easy enough to roll out a little survey like this and, and just, you know, you know, pick up on what the climate is. Try to put your your thumb on the pulse. I always say, uh, Matt. I say you you manage what you measure. You know how how insane would it be if I showed up at my doctor and said, um, you know, hey doc, I'm having these this this heart arrhythmia and you know I'm I'm getting cold sweats at night. And the doctor says, look, he says, just you know, think about how you feel over the next week, and you know, just sort of go with how you feel. And if you're feeling all right, then you're good. And if you don't feel good, you know, maybe we can talk later. No, he's going to say, I'm going to get this test. I'm going to get these numbers. I'm going to look at these stats and I'm going to try to paint a picture. Use our, you know, again, procedural timelines, our procedures handled in a timely manner, strongly disagree to strongly agree. Do procedures play out over an acceptable time frame? Strongly disagree to strongly agree. Is the length of procedures appropriate? You know, again, and, and with those three little questions, so much information can be unpacked about business units that seem to be excelling in that area. What is, what is their average score compared to an average score of, of, of business unit that's struggling? Uh, is there disparity there? On average, how does our entire organization look? And again, going back to that idea of, and I think that's a great point, is it's there's so much more about procedures than just paying promotions, job assignments, training, volunteer, uh, all, all just all sorts of things. Um, that 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 require these uh, procedures to play out, and you can ask yourself uh, when it comes to procedures like uh, time off, are procedures handled timely? You know, in a timely manner. And it's again going back to those three survey items, and that's really a function of, of getting your HR folks on board uh, and making sure that they're aware that these tools exist, right? Uh, making sure that they're a. I, I would think. Putting this on the radar of, of managers and going, hey, it's more than just being, it's more, it's about more than just being fair. You know, one of those things is how timely are your procedures? Once you've put that on their radar, it's getting HR 
to go, hey, look, we can take those three survey items and tap and get a sense of where where do we where do we stand with our managers, uh, with our organization as a whole, uh, with particular business units, um, and that sort of thing. Again, Ryan Outlaw, Assistant Professor of Management at the Kelly School of Business, specializing in organizational justice and exploring what is fair and how timely things can be done and should be done to increase ultimately the productivity of a team, team buy-in, and and things that build organizational success. Ryan, thank you so much for being our guest here on the podcast. Oh man, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.